welcome to Talk Geek to Me, episode 07, the eighth Talk Geek to Me. So, today we have a special show lined up for you today. Today, I'm going to, I'm going to explore a non-computer technology, and the topic is somber. I want to see how far of a departure from computer technology works for our show here. So today, I want to give you my take on nuclear power. And since the topic is so somber, I'm going to not do this show as segments. I'm going to, I'm going to make a straight run for it. Cause what I did was I, I got interested in, in the wildlife coming back to the Chernobyl site after the Chernobyl nuclear accident, after, after the human population had to be react, evacuated. I found it so interesting. I, I read a whole slew of, of, uh, nuclear books and I, I, I freely admit that this will not be an unbiased program. And what can I say? I, I live near one of these. Uh, I, I could be one of the unlucky 8,000 people who die uh, waiting for an evacuation bus that never comes. So the topic is somber. I, I don't want to do segments because I don't want the somberness of the to- topic to be associated with all the other little segments I do. Uh, however, I'm, I'm also not prepared at the same time to give up my little bi-weekly or fortnightly dose of electronic music. I, I'm just going to go straight through this one. And then at the end, I'm going to stick on the closing music, which, from PodsafeAudio.com, is Stian, S-T-I-A-N. The name of the track is 2003001. Nice little bit of electronica. I hope you like it. And I hope you check out the website for the show, TalkGeekToMe.us. You can send me feedback at dg at deepgeek.us. I'm particularly interested in knowing how it floats to deviate from the topic of computers. And you'd be doing me a great service to drop me a note on that matter. But the show's webpage is talkgeektome.us, where there's a variety of feeds and formats, as well as the script for each and every show. So please let me know how this strikes you. So we only have one thing to offer you today, my little uh, from the heart on nuclear energy. So without further ado, let's just get right into it. The purpose of this discussion is to examine the current propaganda effort of the nuclear energy industry to put forth the idea that nuclear energy is green. The nuclear energy industry would like you to believe that their energy is better than fossil fuel methods for creating energy because they want you to believe that their form of energy does not have a carbon dioxide footprint. In order to examine this idea, we will have to have a long look at exactly what it takes to produce nuclear energy and examine all the trade-offs, whether they be any kind of waste, a number of other quality of life factors. In order to get there, we will have to have a look at the origins of nuclear energy and assess the risks involved also. Nuclear energy has its roots in the effort to manufacture nuclear weapons in order to end World War II. What we are talking about here is how to build a bomb. A nuclear bomb is a bomb that create that is created by bringing together enough fissionable radioactive material to create a nuclear reaction, which in an uncontrolled state is a blast, but in a controlled state is a slow burn. The mechanics, and I speak theoretically here, is that to create an uncontrolled blast, you bring enough radioactive material suddenly together in order to create the blast. In order to create the slow, controlled version of the nuclear reaction, you create a core with a number of control rods, which are made of a neutron-absorbing material, as well as the fissionable material. The presence of the control rods keeps the reaction from occurring. When the rods are removed, to a certain extent, the reaction occurs. The first 
important thing to take away from this is that both devices are essentially bombs, but one is created in a way that it goes off all at once, and the other isn't. The proof of this statement is that the removal of all the control rods creates a nuclear explosion. With a nuclear reactor, the slow burn creates several things, but the first and most obvious thing it creates is heat, which is harnessed to create steam, which turns a turbine that makes electricity. After heat is used to turn a turbine, it must be gotten rid of. This excess of heat is thermal pollution. At the nearest nuclear power plant to me, the heat is dumped into the river. My nearest power plant uses 2 million gallons of water an hour and creates a hot runoff constantly into the local river. The next thing created is radioactive gas. Each reactor at my local nuclear power plant creates two steam discharges per week. This discharge is considered to be safe by the government. The last pollution created by the nuclear process is nuclear waste. The burned fuel contains unexpanded radioactive uranium. During the nuclear reaction, some plutonium, the substance you need to create better nuclear bombs, was created. This plutonium can be extracted and raised in purity to make better atomic bombs, while the unused uranium can be extracted and raised in purity to create more fuel for nuclear reactors. Nobody does this unless they need the plutonium for weapons manufacture, as the extraction process is too hazardous. This waste is stored temporarily until it can be entombed in a radioactive waste dump. While nuclear power plants and nuclear weapons have been around for decades, there are no disposal facilities for this kind of waste. So it con continues to sit there temporarily. I'm making air quotes with my fingers in front of the mic. Temporarily at the nuclear plant. The second kind of nuclear waste is contaminated concrete. When nuclear power plant is put into its low power testing phase, all the concrete around the core becomes irradiated. This radioactive concrete is supposed to be disposed of by burial at the state level, but in actuality, most state nuclear dumps are not big enough to receive such a large amount of concrete. While the nuclear industry made a big deal of dismantling a plant in Pennsylvania this, in this manner, once you count all the power plants that were entombed at the Hanford Reservation, entombment becomes m the much more normal method of nuclear power plant disposal. With entombment, you demolish the non-radioactive parts of the facility and encase the remaining radioactive places in fresh concrete, where they stand forever. This brings us to the second two facts that should be remembered about the nuclear power plants. All nuclear power plants are nuclear waste dumps, and all nuclear power plants are munitions plants. So, is this process better than fossil fuel? Initially, it looks like the carbon dioxide that is given off by an oil or coal plant is so undesirable that maybe you would think so. However, nuclear power plants actually have quite a CO2 footprint when you consider the effort at mining uranium and purifying uranium. When you consider these two phases, you see what has really happened is the pollution has merely been shifted to another place. Most of the good veins of uranium are located under Indian reservations, with some local Indians working in the mines, suffering a variety of cardiopulmonary diseases brought about by breathing potentially radioactive dust.
Tons of ground have to be extracted from the earth in order to extract uranium from it. This sort of mining uses heavy equipment which belches carbon dioxide, which is the first waste produced by the process. The second waste is fannings left over from the mining process. This leftover debris is left strewn about the mine site, and in some cases of this debris being used in concrete, has created buildings which were radioactive themselves. These fannings really should be entombed or buried themselves, but they are not, because that would increase the cost of mining. So they are left at the mine site, which becomes another radioactive waste site. A little consolation it is that this site is really surrounded by American Indian Reservation. The rough uranium is then transported in lead-shielded trucks to a processing plant. These shielded trucks run on diesel fuel. The uranium is then put through a chemical process to raise the purity of the uranium. The plants that do this, at least in the U.S., use coal power plants to do this. Coal power produces CO2 also. The chemical process produces chlorofluorocarbons, which cause a worse greenhouse effect than carbon dioxide. Then the purified uranium is trucked to the power plants. Finally, there is a core component at the nuclear power plant that is usually on a backup diesel generator. But if that isn't, it must be on the traditional power grid. That component is the ECCS, the Emergency Core Cooling System. This part is essential to a nuclear power plant because it is the part of the plant that shuts the plant down during a nuclear accident. It must be powered by something besides the plant it is protecting because it only comes to play if that reactor malfunctions. The Chernobyl accident is a result of testing whether or not a plant can power the ECCS without external power. The experiment failed. Thus we see there is quite a greenhouse effect to nuclear power. It is merely shifted. If uranium gets rare enough and we have to mine poorer veins, then the greenhouse gases for mining and purification will match that of traditional fossil fuel power plants. If the veins get even poorer than that, the uranium mining must cease as there will be a net deficit to produce energy. This means that there will be more expanded fuel and fuel burned to make the energy than the energy made by burning the mined uranium. This brings us to the older promise made by the nuclear industry, that nuclear energy can produce power too cheap to meter. In hindsight, it looks like what they were thinking in the past involved the reprocessing of spent fuel to create fresh fuel. So, what makes this fallacious? The problem of waste disposal is roughly a 30-step process that produces tanks upon tanks of liquefied nuclear waste. The problem is that the liquid makes the storage of the waste even more difficult. First, there is the issue of the so-called temporary storage of nuclear waste at the plant level. After this many decades, no real permanent nuclear waste dump has materialized. Now, the spent solid waste is stored dry, in drums suspended in water, commonly called pools, within the nuclear industry. Now, this solid waste has been waiting for decades for, the, for a high-level nuclear waste site to be constructed. And during that waiting process, guess what the nuclear industry discovered about the water in the pools? Surprise, surprise, liquid tends to leak. These pools at these power plants are slowly leaking, and they are doing this near rivers. Not to get too far from the topic at hand, which is reprocessing, is that the chemicals used to make the extraction reusable nuclear substance after irradiation cause a real soup of radioactive chemicals that are disastrous when leaked. This soup is not only highly poisonous and highly radioactive, it is also corrosive, which means that it eats the tanks themselves. 
Back at the Hanford Reservation, where the nuclear industry had its birthplace, half of the tanks that hold irradiated waste chemicals are leaking. People downwind of this toxic output are suffering a myriad of problems due to the leakage of this material into the groundwater as well as the Columbia River. As matter of fact, the Hanford Reservation is the only current environmental disaster we have these days in the States. I should say major disaster. That makes an irresistible segue because guess who is picking up the huge cleanup tab for Hanford? That's right, the federal government, which is funded by the taxpayers. Hold this thought. I just have to switch back and finish up about the reprocessing of nuclear waste. So, you know, India's a nuclear power these days. Do you know how that happened? That's right. They got their needed plutonium from their nuclear program from a Canadian-design-manufactured nuclear power plant of a design called the Kandu Reactor. Another reason against reprocessing, the method by which we are supposed to get plentiful fuel, is that it creates a race not unlike the nuclear arms race, a race to keep up with other countries' stockpiles of plutonium, which represents an ability to manufacture nuclear weapons. Does it not strike you as odd, dear listener, that we have a system where we basically give nuclear technology to other countries? Because the nuclear industry wants to sell nuclear power plants in order to make money. So they say, in effect, we will sell you the technology to make a lot of energy with nuclear power, but you agree not to use the technology to make bombs, only to make electric. Of course the other country says, okay, but really, when you know that all nuclear power plants make the precursors to nuclear bombs, is it really safe to assume that there might not be an ulterior motive to the purchase of a nuclear power plant by another country? Lastly, about the reprocessing, since we have nothing but so-called temporary storage for it, Guess where the nuclear waste processing plant needs to be? That's right, on the campus of the nuclear power plant itself. Think about it. Transporting radioactive stuff is hazardous in and of itself. When the Chernobyl plant had a meltdown, they evacuated the nearby city of Pripyat via bus. In their panic, the engineers, who were meeting with the military who did the evacuation, forgot to advise them to change the tires on the buses 10 miles away from the evacuated cities. The bus tires tracked radiation all over the streets of the city of Kiev. When a concrete street is radioactive, your only real choices are to repave or overpave them. We have a guy where we work. He has a little trademark. He answers some questions by asking back, you tell me. So I need to use that here. What is worse? The accident in the reactor, the accident with the solid waste, the accident with the liquid waste leaking, or the accident during the process of extracting more fuel. You tell me. You know, it's hard to believe as I write this script that I actually had a fear of how I was going to make my segues, but they seem to be flowing. I, I think I should stick to this natural flow, as I have so much to say. What shall we discuss first? Accidents that are accidents, or accidents that happen on purpose, which is called nuclear terrorism. Let's start with accidental accidents. Further, in order to create a taxonomy of possible accidents, we will subdivide accidents into reactor type as well as non-reactor accidents. Non-reactor accidents are accidents that happen because you have a reactor, but they don't happen within the reactor. They are the leakage of radioactive material and all of its associated problems. We've already seen that there are routine gaseous emissions from nuclear power plants that are considered safe. What is safe? Well, if I were to go to the hospital and say, you know, my arm hurts, give me an x-ray please, they will tell me no, because we need to minimize any exposure to radiation because the hospital considers any, any unnecessary exposure to radiation to be hazardous to your health. That is why they make a doctor authorize each x-ray, 
and that is why the x-ray technicians stand behind a lead shield as he takes an x-ray. Looks to me that the phrase safe exposure means something different at the hospital than it does at the power plant. Now, I don't mean to put myself as, as an expert in nuclear. I know what I know as a result of my personal unstructured research. As such, I need to say that the complexities of radiometry, the measurement of radiation, is beyond me. There are measurements for the freestanding radiation, how much radiation has been absorbed, how much radiation is being emitted, but let me do my best by focusing on one measurement, the REM, which represents an absorbed dosage of radiation in your body. A REM is really quite a bit of radiation, but a one-time dose of 100 REMs is non-clinical, even though it produces blood changes. 100 to 200 REMs will produce illness, but not fatal. 200 to 1,000 REMs will produce illness with quite a real possible fatality, and any one-time exposure over 1,000 REMs is always fatal. The problem with radiation is this. When your body absorbs radiation, your body tends to store it in places within your body. Radioactive iodine is stored in the thyroid, radioactive strontium in the bones, and radioactive plutonium in the male is typically found in the testes of the male. That's right. The nuclear testing in the late 50s left superfine plutonium particles in the atmosphere, and if you are a male living in the continental United States, you have some trace amount of plutonium in your testes. However, it is not a lot, for if it were, plutonium is so poisonous, you would die. Radiation is not detectable, except by special precision instruments. The real problem in Bolaris right now is thoracic cancer brought about by the teenager's thyroids being radioactive. The afflicted youth need to have thyroidectomies and to take replacement hormones for the rest of their lives. So these one-time exposures are really theoretical, anyway, and could be used by asking, will I die after a nuclear accident? Let's go back to that x-ray technician in the hospital. He has on his shirt a device called a dosimeter, and it measures if he accidentally received radiation. You can buy a type of these devices that does not need centralized processing like his for a little under 100 US dollars. An electronic one costs about 500 dollars. That x-ray in the hospital costs you 10 millirams, that is a thousandth of a rem exposure. Your normal limit as a civilian is 100 millirems per year. If you work in a nuclear power plant, your limit is 5 rems. So, when there is an accidental radioactive discharge, how safe is it? I disagree with the nuclear industry. I think if my hospital would like me to have none, I think that even the so-called safe weekly degassings of nuclear reactors are unsafe, let alone the potential for slightly radioactive roads around the nuclear power plants with the rubber-tired vehicles tracking radiation away from it. These discharges leave light radiation in the grass. From there, it can sink into well water, be picked up by livestock, even raise the possibility of radioactive milk coming from livestock. No thanks. I don't approve. Not at all. Then there is the matter of accidental releases. I have a friend who told me one day at a park near Indian Point plant. He witnessed the Hudson River was covered with dead fish. He actually witnessed the accidental release of a few hundred gallons of radioactive water into the Hudson River. My friend also told me that he had a rare cancer once. I think it's not polite to speculate to him that they may be related. Let's turn our attention to accidents in the core of the reactor. There are two kinds. There are the loss of coolant accidents and the, and the radiation excursion accidents. Loss of coolant refers to meltdowns, such as Three Mile Island. 
radiation excursion refers to when radioactive material is blown out of the reactor, as in Chernobyl. Some nuclear advocates say that core accidents can only happen about once every 10,000 years. Well, let's see. There is Chernobyl, there's Three Mile Island, a bizarre one in the military plant in Ohio, and one in the half dozen or so on the Hanford Reservation. That's four in a few decades that I know of in this country alone. Doesn't sound like not one in 10,000 years. Now, the Ohio accident, this one is notable just for how bizarre it really is. While trying to initiate a nuclear plant, a soldier caused a meltdown. The resulting explosion caused a great deal of force, which caused the soldier to be impaled upon a 12-foot-long control rod being blown out of the reactor core. The soldier was impaled against the ceiling as he was bathed in radioactive steam while it took several days to bring the reactor under control. His radioactive remains are interred in a lead coffin that is sealed by the Atomic Energy Commission. Three Mile Island. The nuclear industry calls this one, quote, partial meltdown, unquote. That is supposed to make it sound better. It was actually like a 50% meltdown. Calling this a partial meltdown is like saying your daughter is a little bit pregnant. Chernobyl. In Russia, the suits, as to say the management, not the nuclear physicists, decide to test the idea that the ECCS might be able to be powered by a turbine spinning down during a nuclear accident, which of course entails a shutdown of the nuclear process. The failure is famous, for they committed the cardinal sin of disabling the emergency core cooling system, which would have come up on diesel and shut down the plant preemptorily. The result was an explosion of radioactive material, the fallout as far as France and Alaska, USA. And that brings us, lastly, to the little matter of nuclear terrorism. Our audience is international, so I won't be going into details. However, in my research, I discovered that traditional plants have a real Achilles heel to them. So without giving away that info, let me explain what an Achilles heel can be like. In the Vietnam War, we used helicopters, and Vietnamese archers, archers, learned how to take them down with bows and arrows. Their Achilles heel was the rotor, which when hit by an arrow, will cause it to crash. There is something similar in attacking a nuclear power plant. A certain specific attack will cause a meltdown 108 minutes later. I now, and I know that in an earlier section I asked you to hold the thought of the Hanford Reserve cleanup being a federal project, but this is really related to the concept of nuclear energy being cheap. Currently, the nuclear industry is considered too hazardous for private investment. It is therefore funded by a variety of grants. These grants, which do not include the cost of any civilian power plant cleanups or entombments, amount to about $15 per kilowatt hour, which is a lot. Now, perhaps these grants to develop nuclear energy could instead be diverted to develop renewable forms of energy. Maybe then renewable energy would be more advanced. Furthermore, nuclear plants are further covered by liability-limiting special federal laws. So, if your house gets permanently irradiated, you will have no financial recourse. This situation is covered by the fine print of homeowner's insurance and the power utility not being liable, not to mention the cost of burying or entombing radioactive waste at the site of the mining. Well, that concludes my presentation on nuclear power. I hope you found it interesting. Feedback always appreciated. DG at deepgeek.us. Thank you for listening to my show. Here's the closing music.
Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.